Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. Uh, those of you that listened to last week's program when we were urging letters to Governor DeWine about our nursing homes, allowing at least one family member to visit with their loved ones in the nursing homes. Now, as we go into the fourth month of the COVID shutdown of our nursing homes, we want to get in and see our loved ones. Uh, keep those letters and emails going to the governor, and you can link to that on our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. Uh, there's a link there to send a message to the governor uh, again, uh, there's been no announcement as of yet. As you know, we did put out a letter to the governor urging him in the strongest terms uh, to have a policy that would allow for loved ones to meet uh, with their loved ones in the nursing homes. I mean, these folks don't understand why family aren't coming in, uh, and it's a terrible situation. We want to see that turned around. So maybe uh, there's an announcement uh, here in the next week or so, let's hope. And let's pray for that. But again, thank you for making your calls and emails to the to Governor DeWine about that important issue. A few weeks ago, we had on our broadcast, uh, we talked about the protests, the riots, and the anarchist group Antifa and the Christian response. Uh, many of you heard that program. Well, today, as I told you at that time, we were going to continue on this because this isn't going away. This is actually uh, a major occurrence in our country. Uh, in fact, most of you do not know that the Ohio State House on that Thursday night when the riots began, uh, protests in the afternoon that turned into violent riots at night, actually broke the glass and compromised the doors of the Ohio State House. Uh, there were those who went in, uh, anarchists, quite honestly. Uh, these weren't the protesters. These were anarchists who went into the State House and started ransacking the first floor. Only three highway patrolmen were on guard that night. Uh, that is an underreported story. Many of you have seen the pictures of the boarded-up uh, building of the Ohio State House. I want to tell you that in our 161-year history of the People's House, that has never happened. Uh, this is actually a watershed moment, but it didn't just happen in Columbus. We're getting reports out of Lincoln, Nebraska, now, this isn't your normal just-type uh, protest against uh, uh, racism, as uh, we saw in the streets, but it actually something else was at stake. I want to read to you the statement we had at the time. Protests sparked in cities across America in response to the viral video of the arrest and death of George Floyd. What followed were protests that turned into riots and something more. Orchestrated anarchy in the streets of America by a well-funded organized domestic terrorist organization, Antifa. In this program, we, we, we want to talk about the details. And here with us on the phone is Bill Federer of the American Minute. And Bill is taking us through history because here we go again. This is very reminiscent of the brown shirts in Nazi Germany back in the 1930s. Bill, welcome to the program. Chris, great to be with you. Well, thank you, Bill. And we saw that uh, your American Minute you put out uh, about a week or so ago, uh, Hitler's brown shirts used Antifa tactics to overthrow Germany's republic. Um, then you went on to talk about D-Day began rescuing Europe, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, our civilization, of course, from the tyranny of Nazi Germany throughout Europe. But it began uh, with the political movement and actually the uh, Nazis, uh, socialistic Nazis, uh, on their attack on their own government. Uh, and let's talk about that. Right. So it's this uh, idea that you have to create a crisis. So there's uh, an excuse for uh, a strong leader to assume power. Um, and we can give instances through history, but the Nazi one is important. So uh, Hitler... Uh, was elected chancellor by one vote, and just within uh, a week or so, there's a uh, crisis. The Capitol building is set on fire. Uh, this is called the Reichstag. It's the German Capitol building. And evidence points to Hitler supporters setting the fire. 
But during this crisis, uh, Hitler is able to uh, usurp power, have his opponents arrested and killed. Um, uh, Hitler's tactics were quite interesting. Uh, well, and again, uh, Germany was a republic at the time when this it's happened. It's called the, the, the Weimar Republic, right? So after World War I, they set up a representative republic, and it worked, uh, but uh, they uh, were struggling. And Hitler goes to the people and says, I'll turn things around. So he presented himself as the the uh, person that would straighten things out uh, and people would yield their, their rights and freedoms to him only to find out later that he was a dictator. Um, so Hitler had a radical group called Brown Shirts. Uh, they were headed up by a activist homosexual named Ernst Röhm and the Historical reports were that this was a homosexual group, and they were called stormtroopers, or Sturmbleitung, and they would storm into the meetings of Hitler's political opponents and disrupt the meeting and shout down the speakers. These tactics were adopted by those that go to campuses today and interrupt conservative speakers and so forth. Uh, the brown shirts organized street protests and riots that started off peaceful and then evolved into smashing windows, blocking traffic, locking arms, right? Uh, setting fires and vandalizing, and even beating to death innocent bystanders. Why? Because they wanted to spread fear and panic so that people would want Hitler to come in with a strong arm and restore order. Uh, these brown shirts even orchestrated the Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, where they smashed the front windows of over 7,500 Jewish stores and Jewish synagogues. So uh, now once Hitler, uh, the people said, well, we need somebody with, with strong, you know, power to, to restore order. And so Hitler says, okay, I'll be, give me your, your rights and freedoms. I'll restore order. And the people do. What does Hitler do? He rounds up the brown shirts, and has them all killed in the night of the long knives. And so they all get stabbed and shot. And, uh, you know, Ernst Rome, you know, they they went in to, to shoot him. And he said, tell Hitler to come in and shoot me himself. And, of course, Hitler wasn't going to. But, you know, Ernst Rome, you know, had his shirt off and he had his chest out, you know, defiantly. And they just took the gun and shot him in the chest and killed him. And anyway. So Hitler was now perceived as restoring law and order. So here, his people created the crises, and he presents himself as the candidate to restore law and order. Um, now, a little bit of a, a background. These tactics have been perfected as time goes on. And so in uh, after World War II, the uh, British decide that they're going to give independence to all their former colonies, India and Egypt and all these countries. And in a perfect world, that would be great. So we got all these new, you know, Jamaica, all these new countries. The Soviet Union decides that they want to fill the power vacuum. And so they would send KGB agents into Romania, into Hungary, into Syria, and they would find groups that have grievances. Groups that have uh, injustices, groups that have been, you know, treated bad. And certainly, we just got through a world war, so there was lots of people that are struggling. And so they would organize them to do protests against the brand new government. And then the protests would break out into riots. And then they would break out into violence and smashing windows and so forth. And then uh, they would bribe and threaten the media so they could control the narrative blaming the the leader for these problems and when it the uh, killing and random violence reached uh, an escalating point they would do a coup or a rigged election and get rid of the leader and install a soviet puppet leader and at first everybody was relieved that the random violence stopped uh, only to have a rude awakening when the dust settled that they had just given up all their freedoms. Now, the U.S. 
uh, had Harry S. Truman, and he was sort of naive, thinking the United Nations would, you know, be the answer to the world's problems, and it wasn't. And uh, he sort of ignored the Soviets doing this. But the next president's Eisenhower. And he uh, said, well, you know, here we have a choice. We can sit back and watch all these countries become Soviet satellites, or we can do something. So in 1953, Eisenhower gave approval to the first CIA operation to overthrow a country's leader. It was Operation Ajax, and it was in Iran. So Iran had a leader named Mossadegh who was leaning toward the Soviet Union. And Mossadegh nationalized the oil industry in Iran. You say, what's that? Well, Winston Churchill changed the British Navy from coal to oil. There's only one oil well in England, uh, and so the British need oil. So in 1908, they form the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. You know it better as BP. British Petroleum is the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. And so Mossadegh nationalized it. And basically took it away from the British, and the British go to Eisenhower for help. And Eisenhower has his Secretary of State, John Foster Dulles, and the CIA operative, Kermit Roosevelt Jr., the grandson of Teddy Roosevelt. And he goes over to Tehran, and he organizes, he recruits the most feared mobsters in Tehran. He recruits the radical imams. He bribes the media and threatens the media so that he can control the narrative. And then they begin to have protests and blame Mazadek. And then the protests uh, devolve into riots and smashing windows and attacking mosques and causing bloodshed and instability. And in the midst of this confusion, uh, they had uh, cultivated uh, relationships with officers in the Iranian military. And when this crisis got bad enough, the military went in and put Mazadek under house arrest and then put him away in prison where he died. And we installed the Shah, who was very friendly to America because we put him in power. We did the same thing in Guatemala in 1954, Congo 1960, Dominican Republic, even Chile uh, in uh, 1973. But the KGB didn't sit back. They did it with Castro in Cuba, making it a Soviet satellite, and then infiltrating countries in Latin America and South America and, and all through Africa. And this is called the Cold War. And it's the basis of every spy novel, right? You go to some third world country and there's the city and then you run into the Russians, the KGB, and then you run into the uh, CIA and, and so forth. And they'll you know, plot to kill and overthrow the leader. And, and what we're seeing today is basically a CIA, KGB, brown shirt operation taking place on our own soil. Bill, you have well, we've, the... we've received reports, uh, for instance, in Cincinnati, when the riots broke out there, a councilman on city council, uh, he's actually an African-American, he, he, there's a video of him weeping. He said they're giving bricks to our young people to ca uh, throw at the buildings, and, and he's weeping. He says they're basically militarizing these people on the streets. The, the protested turned then violent, and they're passing out bricks. He's talking about Antifa. We've seen this time and again, these reports we saw up in Minneapolis. They dress in black. They hide their faces. Uh, it's a very sophisticated uh, operation with Antifa. Uh, and this basically, they were going around and starting to smash the buildings, uh, windows in the buildings. And there was an African-American. He was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? We're going to be blamed for that. And this guy just systematically went through the auto zone. And this is the early afternoon before everything started breaking out. He started breaking every window after the business closed, and he walked off. And this African-American's going after him. It's like, what are you doing that for? What are you doing? So this was well orchestrated in city after city, Bill. This is much, you know, back in the 60s was the, and uh, the early 70s was the weather underground. This is much more organized with Antifa, and their numbers are much bigger. Your thoughts? Right. I think a lot of the people doing these criminal acts are MS-13 gang members that the previous president had let cross the border. 
I think a lot of them are ISIS fundamentalists that were brought over from unbedded uh, immigrants uh, from Syria. Uh, and you see in Minneapolis, uh, the police pulling out Sharia Islam is going to move in. Gangs are going to move in. And um, this is um, organized. Now, you can do you know research on the Internet. You find out that George Soros has been funding Black Lives Matter. George Soros funded um, more. So I'm originally from St. Louis, 30 miles from Ferguson. I've spoken there, you know, a half dozen times over the years. 99% of the people riding in Ferguson were not from Ferguson. They were brought in by more, M-O-R-E, Missourians Organizing for Reform and Empowerment. George Soros gave more, $33 million. And the people rioted, smashed windows. Um, they advertised in like Chicago papers to bring people in. And uh, the the people that lived in Ferguson were like, what are you doing to our neighborhoods? And um, uh, someone even held up an ISIS sign behind Jake Tapper as he's walking down the streets with these rioters there in Ferguson, Missouri. And afterwards, uh, they had been promised $5,000 a rioter from Moore, from George Soros, and they didn't get paid right away. So they demonstrated in front of the Moore headquarter offices and even went in and took over the place. And they started a cut the check hashtag campaign. And it began to go um, viral in the, the local St. Louis media. Um, by the way, the, the, the media had cameramen that went up to these inner city churches where they were doing their quote unquote training. And they were showing them how to lock arms and block a highway, um, how to, um, uh, you know, respond when a camera's in their face to give this emotional, you know, practice having a tear in your eye, saying we were just having this friendly, peaceful demonstration uh, across a major highway, of course. And this car ran into us and, oh, this is so terrible. And they would practice this and they would tell the people, your audience is the public. Yes, you have policemen right in front of you. Yes, you have all kinds of people right in front of you. Your, your audience is the national public that is going to be watching this. And they would continue to remind them of that. And so um, anyway, um, the, the local uh, Moore offices quickly cut the check and paid them. So this, the story did not go national. But these were it was rent a rioter. And then they moved these same people to Minneapolis, to, uh, excuse me, uh, Milwaukee, where they rioted. Charlotte, North Carolina, where they rioted, Baltimore, where they rioted. And it was this idea that if you riot big enough uh, and declare the local police department racist, then you can have the federal government under the deep state people that, you know, run a whole lot of the FBI and Department of Justice. Uh, they would come in and take over and nationalize the local police departments. And, uh, and that was a plan that they were actively working um, I think the, the current president, President Trump, is a monkey wrench in their works. And if you can imagine one of these Democrat governors sitting in the White House, uh, they would be very quick to say, we're going to shut down churches and businesses forever. Now, you know, when you study socialism, and I just finished a book on it, socialism means a structured society where you have the ruling class and the ruled class. It goes back to Plato, where says democracy won't last because it's based on the people having virtue. The people really don't have virtue, so give it a matter of time, and they're going to yield to their selfishness, and it's going to turn into chaos, and then they're going to want someone to restore order, and then you have the philosopher king. He's the head of gold, and his administrators and military are the arms and chest of silver. It's like the communist dictator and the, and the communist party members. They're the ruling class, and then the people are the abdomen of bronze and iron. They're, they are the working class. So when you're talking socialism, you're talking about the deep state that rules everything and then all the equal people that are subjects. And um, But you have to get rid of the middle class. And so uh, Frederick Engels, that wrote the Communist Manifesto with Marx, he says that they were alchemists of the revolution, spurring it into artificial crises. And every crisis must be worse than the one before, putting out of business more small capitalists. This will increase the number of unemployed, and then we'll have a commercial revolution, you know, collapse in a revolution. So the idea was you have to get rid of the middle class. And um, a, a domino effect, crime goes up in the city. Some people feel unsafe and leave. Businesses are shut down. COVID response shut down. 
and people lose their livelihood and the small business people leave. So who are these people that leave? Maybe pro-family, pro-business. Those would statistically be more Republican. Who's left in the city? Maybe those that are dependent on government handouts, statistically more Democrat. So crime goes up, businesses shut down, Republicans leave, Democrats get a monopoly on city politics. And in presidential elections, whoever wins the city ends up winning the state. And whoever wins the state gets all the electoral votes for the state. And the president is elected by electoral votes. So there literally is a Democrat political advantage for crime going up and businesses being shut down in the major cities across America. We're talking with Bill Fetter of the American Minute. We're talking about Antifa. We're talking about the anarchist organization that has been spreading chaos across America over the last month with these protests uh, basically turned into riots and anarchy. Bill, uh, we talked about the payouts. There was reports, obviously. People were receiving cash in the streets for smashing windows, for causing chaos. Uh, This group... Uh, you know, the FBI and the Justice Department needs to bring in the RICO laws against them and those who are funding them, like George Soros. Are we going to see indictments from uh, uh, Bill Barr's Justice Department? Uh, we should. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, they had already planned these in Democrat-controlled cities. So all of the rioters, like St. Louis, Missouri, uh, all the rioters get let out of jail without any uh, con- you know, convictions or prosecutions or anything. It's, we had reports like, you know, that they actually had attorneys waiting to pay their bail when they got to the jail. They were that organized. And and then we see that in cities where they're quote, tracking COVID con- contacts, you know, contact tracing, and if somebody's got it, and they ask them questions. Well, where were you and who are you around? They're forbidden to ask if they were at a riot. Why? Because they have to name all the people that they were there uh, at the riot with, and they don't want them to be named. Why? Because I think a lot of them are these organizers. And then you have the guy in charge of Twitter, and he like is has a special channel on Twitter where they can send their uh, or you know orders without it being made public. Um, it has all the telltale signs of being one of these uh, operations. And you know, inside of the Department of Justice and in the FBI, there are people that do not like Trump. They have access to all of the, you know, intelligence. I'm, they know who's doing the riots. Yeah. Um, they're either ignoring it or they're part of the problem. Folks, we need to be praying. We need to be interceding for our country now more than ever. The future of our country is at stake. Uh, if you haven't woken up to that at this point, it's not just the COVID-19 pandemic. It's, it's the riots and the anarchy that we've seen in multiple cities across the country. I'm telling you, this is a time that we need to intercede and pray. The Church of Jesus Christ needs to rise up and get a hold of heaven and uh, petition uh, for our children, our grandchildren, and for the future of this republic. Remember what Benjamin Franklin said, you have a republic if you can keep it. Well, Bill, thank you for being my guest today. This has been very helpful. Uh, If you want to know more about Bill and the materials that he has, the books, uh, that's AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. And you can get his daily email, AmericanMinute.com, as well. Thanks, Bill, for being my guest today. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for all you do. God bless you, my friend. Well, hopefully, folks, that we can uh, get out in front of this. Uh, There's going to be an important election this year, and the Ohio Christian Alliance is going to be providing voter registration efforts and also voter guides. And, of course, our Freedom Banquet is coming up on July 23rd. Uh, information is on our website at ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. 
This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust The following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News and Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be talking about a very important subject and speaking out for those who do not have a voice right now. They've been silenced. And I'm talking about Ohio's elderly that are locked behind closed doors and windows at Ohio's nursing homes. We are now entering the fourth month of a government closure of uh, any visitors to Ohio nursing homes. Governor DeWine, back in March, ordered that nursing home visitations uh, be suspended because of COVID-19. The governor took these actions as precautions uh, for our elderly and for those who are have pre-existing conditions. And though there may have been good intent in the beginning, it has become now a situation where this now is becoming a very harmful measure to our elderly, as they have been locked behind closed doors away from family and friends and any contact from the outside world outside of the staff that work in the nursing homes. It's a very important issue right now and one in which we're addressing with our governor. We're going we're gonna to talk about this this half hour. And with me in the studio is Al Davis. He is a pastor of the Richville Bible Baptist Church, which also he is a board member of the Ohio Christian Alliance and has an outreach uh, to the nursing homes. But, of course, the ministries to nursing homes haven't been able to get in there uh, since the beginning of March as well. And I want to read to you a verse of Scripture from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, of the Ten Commandments. The Bible says that this is the fifth commandment, and it is the commandment with promise. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Pastor Al, from James one twenty seven. what does the Bible read? Yes, Chris, the Bible says in James one twenty seven, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The Bible is very clear that we are to care for our elderly, that we are to honor our parents, we're to honor our fathers and mothers. And so, so many people right now are going through a very difficult time not being able to go in and to visit with their loved ones. And so, the state has not come up with any protocol for visitation for even one family member. We have heard disastrous stories of people that have actually passed away without anyone being in attendance by their side. I'm going to read to you a letter that we issued to Governor DeWine's office last Friday, June 5th. Dear Governor DeWine, I am writing you today concerning the COVID-19 shutdown policy for nursing homes and healthcare facilities. We are now entering the fourth month of a lockdown on nursing homes across the state of Ohio. 
husbands, wives, children, and loved ones have not been able to go in and visit their family members in Ohio's nursing homes. Our elderly who deserve visits, care, and the expression of respect from those who love them have been denied this since the order went into effect. There are numerous heartbreaking stories of family members who were not able to be with their loved ones during their final days and hours on earth. This is cruel and an unusual act of government policy. The untold sadness, sense of loss, and remorse of those who were not able to pray with, care for, and simply just express their love to the ones they cherished before they left this life is something that I never thought we would see state government impose. The original intent of safeguarding our nursing home residents from the coronavirus may have been set forth with good intentions, and many Ohioans, including myself, thought this might be for a few weeks, but the duration of now going into four months with no plan for at least one family member going in to meet with their loved one is unacceptable. We are receiving numerous reports that these residents in the nursing homes are becoming despondent, confused, and not eating. Their family advocates are not able to properly fulfill their role in helping to oversee the health care needs of their loved ones in Ohio nursing homes. The order forbids them from entering the facilities to observe what health care workers may or may not be doing to care for their loved ones. My own mother has dementia, and I have not been able to see her since February in person. She does not understand why we cannot come in to see her, and I can tell that she feels as if we do not care. Every time we see her through the window, it breaks our hearts. I never thought I would live to see the day that a government would keep me from fulfilling one of the commandments of God, to honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth. My mother lived through the Great Depression in hard poverty, then World War II, then raised her family and served others. She and so many like her deserve better. Governor, I urge you in the strongest terms, allow family members to meet with their loved ones in Ohio's nursing homes. The goodwill and patience of Ohioans who have been waiting to hear from your office about a plan that would allow for visitation while safeguarding the residents has expired. We long thought that by now an announcement would have been forthcoming, but the reality is these seniors are wasting away in loneliness and a sense of imprisonment. They committed no crime, yet they are serving a punishment from a draconian order of government that is keeping them from family and friends. Even the incarcerated in Ohio's prisons for the worst types of crimes are not are entitled to visitors, but our elderly, some of the greatest generation, are being forced into seclusion without their consent. We urge you in the strongest terms, appealing to your goodwill and judgment, that the time has come to set forth a plan to allow for family and loved ones to visit their beloved family members in Ohio's nursing homes. Sincerely, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. That is a letter that we submitted to Governor DeWine's office on Friday, June 5th. And I want to go to a report out of Hamilton County in the Cincinnati area that, uh, of an event that happened on Monday. Let's go to that report. The group hopes the governor hears its message. The protesters say, let us in before something other than coronavirus kills our parents. What kind of life is this? People are begging to die at this point. It has been 89 days since Scott Reynolds has been in the same room as his mother, Francine. She has Alzheimer's. With COVID-19 being a deadly risk for people over age 65, he can only video chat or talk to her through her nursing home room window. When your mother is standing at a window, banging on a window, asking you to come in, and please, 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 I have to try to explain to her, and she doesn't comprehend. The group gathered outside Berkeley Square Nursing Home in Hamilton to send a message to Governor Mike DeWine. Their parents are deteriorating since he banned visitation due to the pandemic. That's my dad. Mm -hmm. um, he has dementia. Um, found out that uh, we had to call hospice. He's not eating, he no longer talks, he has bed sores, 
and I haven't seen him since March 11. Protesters told story after story of patients alone in rooms. Before that, she was walking up and down the halls, going to the cafeteria to eat her meals, uh, socializing, playing bingo, having exercise classes, getting her hair done. They say they want to check on their parents' conditions and treatment. Do you keep your child locked up for three months without being able to hug them, without knowing what they're eating, without knowing that they're being properly taken care of? Critics argue if an outbreak happens, it could kill someone else's parent. If employees can be tested, we can be tested. We need to be able to be with our parents. On Monday, the governor is allowing outside visits at assisted living facilities, but there's no timeline on when nursing homes will get visitation. The National Guard has orders to test populations of workers and patients at every nursing home in the state. I spoke to the general leading that effort, and he tells me the teams are starting with nursing homes that are already dealing with outbreaks. Reporting in Hamilton, Courtney Francisco, WCPO 9 News. That is a report from Cincinnati, Ohio, in the Hamilton County. Uh, and this is a nursing home down there. This was an event unrelated to our effort as we sent a, an urgent letter to the governor. Uh, and I got to tell you, folks, that's probably the strongest letter I've ever written to any government official. But I mean it with passion, and I mean it with intent. Uh, look, we as Christians are to care for our elderly. Uh, you know, Pastor, you just read this verse from, and I'm going to read it again, James 1.27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You know, on June 5th, uh, there must have been something happening all the same time because here comes this uh, article from the medical press. It's titled, The Neurobiology of Social Distance, why loneliness may be the biggest threat to survival and longevity. And it's an article written about the nursing home uh, seclusion that's taking place. It reads this, Never before have we experienced such social isolation on a massive scale as we have during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. A new paper published in the journal Trends in Cognitive Sciences explores the wide-ranging negative consequences that social isolation has on our psychological well-being and physical health, including decreased lifespan. The paper was so co-authored an associate professor uh, by uh, Daniel uh, Bizdok, um, and it goes on to talk about, through examining a board, broad range of studies, a full picture emerged of the severe impact that loneliness can have, namely that having strong interpersonal relationships is critical for survival across the entire lifespan. Social isolation is a significant uh, predicator of the risk of death. Insufficient social stimulation affects reasoning, memory performance, hormone, um, a number of brain and white matter activity, uh, connectivity and function, as well as resilience to physical and mental disease. Feeling of loneliness can spread through a social network, causing negatively skewed social perception, escalating morbidity and mortality, and in older people, precipitating the onset of dementia such as Alzheimer's disease. Pastor Al. You're absolutely right, Chris, and even the Bible recognizes this because the Bible says, a merry heart maketh, uh, maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Mm. And when the spirit is broken... It also says, a broken spirit drieth the bones. And what that literally means is physical health deteriorates when somebody falls into depression. And in our nursing homes today, residents oftentimes have nobody to talk to. That's right. It's nobody. Nobody to talk to. The staff doesn't have time to talk with each resident. They're hard-pressed before the shutdown. You know, and again, I want to make this clear. I'm glad you brought that up because we are not uh, besmirking the hospital, the uh, nursing home staff. In fact, where my mom is, she's been there for six years since my dad passed away. They take excellent care of her, but they need the family members to come mm -hmm. in and to interact with her and spend time with her and go over old pictures and memories and right. sing with and pray with and read with. And even the volunteers that come into mm -hmm. the nursing homes have forbidden for come coming in. in. Yeah. This is terrible. You have a great ministry over the years at the nursing home. Your uh, thoughts? We have a nursing home near our church. We have been going through there every week, 
every Sunday afternoon for, uh, for well, since uh, I became the pastor of the church uh, for over 20 years now, every Sunday afternoon, uh, I visit the nursing home. We have a short service. We sing some songs, praise the Lord with in song, and then go through a shortened uh, Bible message. But even more than that is we spend time talking with the residents. And, yes. And and we found that oftentimes some of the residents don't have the benefit of involved family and friends like your mother has. Yes. And, and of course, we're talking about before the shutdown. And so we would provide oftentimes the only one for them to talk to. And staff, many staff members really care strongly for their residents. They do. But they're limited in how much time they can spend. That's the constant thing. When you have a dozen people to take care of in a short period of time to do it, you can't spend an hour or so with each, or even 10 minutes with each patient, just talking and letting them unburden themselves. And plus, also the volunteers and us with our church service coming in and then talking with the residents, we provide an outlet. We're not the facility, we're not the staff, we're a third party that can come in that oftentimes, if they don't feel they can talk to the staff or they, they don't feel that they're getting resolution from the staff, we give them an opportunity to, to voice their concerns and, and perhaps even weigh in and speak to the staff on their behalf, things that uh, oftentimes family members do as well. It's an extra set of eyes, and it's also a help for the staff because they know that when they're uh, being visited by a family member or a volunteer, they know that that person is being taken care of watched and they they can concentrate on other residents that perhaps have more pressing needs and so the quality of care is going down uh, anxiety is increasing and depression and uh, and just as some of the things that we've mentioned already yeah. the people not eating uh, illness uh, things that uh, perhaps would have been minor uh, morphing into greater things and and it's just simply being deprived of that human interaction. And, and, and speaking as a pastor, not just the human interaction, but the opportunity to share the Word of God with people. Because I've seen people, even with dementia, that they might not uh, know what day it is, but you sing one of them old songs, like, Jesus loves me, this yes. I know, their eyes light up. That's right. They start swinging their feet, swinging their hands, and and they just love it. And it brings them a ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in a time when they're at perhaps one of their lowest. That's right. And when I go in to see Mom, of course, and we read the scriptures to her, the f- familiar passages that she uh, loves and remembers, when we sing songs that she remembers, show her pictures of the family and of the babies and the grandbabies, and this makes up her day. And, you know, it takes that time. When I go in to see Mom, you know, it take, you know, because she has dementia, it takes a few minutes just to warm up with that personal interaction and uh you know then she starts to really come around Mm -hmm. so you know this is part but you talk about months i mean we're pastor we're going to the fourth month so Mm -hmm. and here the governor and his team have addressed every other portion of society and this this is a group i'm sorry folks no they're out not protesting in the streets not throwing bricks at buildings you know Mm -hmm. not looting they're quiet and silent behind the doors. We're going to speak up for them, and that's what we're doing today. If you could tell I'm a little hot about this, folks, I am. Because when there's a right and wrong issue, that's when the Ohio Christian Alliance is going to step up to the plate and speak up for those who don't have a voice. You know, Al, we don't protest for ourselves. We protest for others. If it's the unborn and if it's the elderly, well, put me on the front of the line. Uh, a voice for the voiceless. Amen, brother. I'm reading from uh, our post here. Uh, we put it up, and by the way, you know, it's funny. I put this out there, and I was surprised. I shouldn't have been, but everybody started speaking up. Here's what James says. It is an atrocity that accommodations cannot be made for family members to visit their loved ones in solitary confinement like felons on death row in prison for three months now. This is humane. When Vanessa wrote, still haven't been with my husband for more than three hours in 10 weeks. Oh, my. He had his stroke on March 25th. My husband is 46 years old, and he needs brain stimulation to recover. 
He's getting therapy, but I could do so much more and give him more time. As it is now, I have to look at my husband through a window like he's a dangerous zoo animal. I am told that he is suffering with depression, and that breaks my heart. I want to help my husband recover. I'll wear head-to-toe hazmat gear. I already get a health screening every day at work. I realize that nursing home patients are the most vulnerable of all people, which is why I'm willing to do whatever so I can see him. Let us in to see our families. That's 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 exactly right. And my mom, actually, she's been at the nursing home. Then the doctor ordered some uh, procedures, and she was uh, put in an ambulance, taken to the um, uh, emergency room over there at SUMA, and they had a policy of no visitation. And so this is what's ridiculous. So uh, mm-hmm. I understand they're changing that now. This week they're going to start allowing at least one family member. We had a board member that had an emergency medical condition. His wife wasn't able to go in to see him. Look, folks, you can take precautions. You can put on gloves and masks and have temperatures taken. I mean, the staff does that. Why can't at least one family member do this for nursing homes? Um, here's another one, uh, Tammy. Uh, God bless this, Tammy. She's uh, She uh, called out... She tells a terrible story about her aunt that passed away, and nobody was able to be with her. I mean, Pastor Al, that is so heartbreaking. And yet she's the one still advocating for others because she knows how heartbreaking it was for her family. She's out there writing letters to the governor and saying, hey, this is just terrible. She did get a response back, so maybe something's beginning to happen. This is Tammy. She says, I finally received a call yesterday from an aide from the governor. They left a voicemail message from a restricted line, so I could not return the call. Uh, they said they were sorry to hear of the loss of my aunt last week and were working every day to come up with a plan to open up nursing homes. I am sorry, but I don't believe it. It should be easy enough to say one family member or representative go in with gloves and a mask in temperature. And she's so right, Pastor Al. I mean, we are beyond the time of which, you know, because they these are the folks that weren't clamming and you know clamoring and banging. They were silently withering away. And so, you know, nobody wants to protest the nursing home. We appreciate the nursing homes. That's not what we're protesting. We are protesting a draconian act of government that is keeping me from fulfilling uh, the commandment of God in honoring my mother and my father, which is basically from the Ten Commandments, folks, and it's the Fifth Commandment with promise, and that's what we need to be doing. So here's what I want you to do, a call to action today. I want you to call the only line, Pastor Al. This is amazing. (laughs) I've been doing this for 20 years. There's always been a governor uh, hotline that you can call the governor on any given issue. You know, I looked on there. All there was was a fillable form. So if you want to do that, go to the Ohio Christian Alliance website, click on the link, send the governor an email. Be polite, but be direct and be firm. Uh, That's okay at this point. Uh, He needs to hear us loud and clear on behalf of our elderly. But here's a phone number you can call. It is the COVID-19 hotline. So if it's all running through there right now, so call this hotline and leave them a message. And this is 833-427-5634. Again, that's 833-427-5634. And, folks, I want to thank you for making those calls and emails to the governor on this issue, speaking up for elderly, and we will give you an update here in the next couple of weeks. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. 
I'm Johnette Cruz and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue want to give you an opportunity right now. If you'd like a uh, pocket constitution with a Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights for yourself, we have them. We'd like to send you out one. I want you to call this number. This is the Ohio Christian Alliance uh, office number, and let us know. Leave your name and address, and we'll send you out a free copy of the Constitution. And uh, the number is 330-887-1922. Again, that's 330-887-1922. 1922. Here, Pastor Al, there's your copy. Thank you. And uh, this is, again, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence. We'll send that out to you. And, of course, um, folks, I wanted to tell you about a wonderful event that's coming up. The Ohio Christian Alliance Freedom Banquet is scheduled, finally, for Thursday, July 23rd. We're going to have information on our website. We'd love for you to uh, join us. We're going to celebrate our country. We're going to uh, respect and celebrate the men and women in blue and also the first responders at our banquet. And we're going to have some special guests as well. And you can register our website at ohioca.org. That's the Ohio Christian Alliance Freedom Banquet is coming up on July 23rd. Thanks for listening and God bless. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.